0: A long time ago. In a galaxy far, far, away. Star Wars. Lost Tribe of the Sith. Number 6. Sentinel. By John Jackson Miller. Read by Decade Bird Publishing. Chapter 1. 3,960 BBY. I think. I might have ruined my life. Sounds like you met a woman, the purple-faced bartender said, pouring. Do you want me to leave the bottle? Only if I can smash it over my head, Jelf Marion thought. It was sweet water, anyway, nothing that would help him forget. Sweat dripping from his matted blonde hair, he drank deeply. The empty mug glistened, its shaped facets catching the firelight. Jelf twirled it in his hand, following the reflections. Since arriving on Keshe, he'd only drunk from Orojo shells. But the Kashiri produced such wonderful glassware, even here, to serve guests in a pauper's way station. The bartender passed him a bowl of porridge. Friend, you look like you've run all the way from South Talbus. And more. Jelf didn't add that he'd been running practically without pause since the previous evening. Now, as the sun set again, he'd stopped, parched and ravenous, here in a hovel nestled in the lengthening shadows of the capital city's walls. Jelf simply nodded to the pleasant old Kashiri and retreated to a corner with his meal. The natives on Kesh always felt freer to be familiar with human slaves than they were with the Sith. They must not have much trouble telling us apart, he imagined, tonight, his soaked, tattered clothes were probably a tip-off that he wasn't born on high. In fact, of course, Jelf was the only mortal on Kesh born on high. He came from space, although he called no planet home. The three years the former Jedi Knight had spent in his little farmhouse on the Marisota River were the longest he'd lived in one place in years. He'd been fortunate to find it. Jelf had discovered the abandoned homestead just days after crashing his starfighter in the jungle highlands, when hunger made him bold enough to go exploring. The original occupant had left long before, probably fearing the stories that the Marisota River was cursed. Sensing the dark side of the Force all around, Jelf had begun to agree, until he ventured north and realized that, in fact, the whole planet was under a curse. Kesh belonged to the Sith. Jelf had devoted his entire adult life to preventing the return of the Sith to the galaxy. Toprawa had been devastated by the Jedi’s war with Exer Kyun, Jelf had been born into a world that had already lost all hope. Fatherless, he heard from his mother only horror stories of the Sith occupation. When she disappeared one morning never to return, the young Jelf might have lost hope, too, had it not arrived in the form of Jedi Scouts. The woman they introduced him to would save his life. Krinda Dre had also lost someone on Prawa, her Jedi husband, and had assembled a Covenant, a collection of Jedi Knights willing to do anything to prevent the Sith's return. Assisting her watchful seers were the Shadows, agents serving her son, another Jedi of great vision. Master Lucian had somehow removed Jelf from the Jedi roles, giving the young man complete and total mobility. For years, Jelf had been the perfect secret agent, Traveling the Outer Rim investigating potential Sith threats while the true Jedi Order occupied itself with matters of less importance. He'd been satisfied with his success. Until early in the Republic's war with the Armored Mandalorians, when everything changed. Jelf never learned exactly what had happened, beyond that, some schism had decapitated the Covenant, revealing his existence, among others. Now regarded by the Jedi as an outlaw, Jelf found flight his only option. What irony that, in selecting Kesh as his refuge, he'd found the very thing that he had sworn to stamp out. Jelf finished the meal and rubbed his eyes. He'd done everything right until now. After life as a shadow, hiding from the Sith on Kesh hadn't been difficult. He knew how to shroud his presence in the Force. And the existence of a class of human nobodies made it easy for him to blend in, so long as he lived in the Hinterlands and kept his contacts to a minimum. In short order, he had picked up the local dialect and accent, giving him access to the necessities of life. A life spent tending his farm during the days, and working to repair his damaged starfighter at night. The Starfighter He had completed repairing most of the damage done to the Orek by the meteor storm, it remained only to reinstall the communications console and select the time and manner of his departure. Then he would have truly been the sentinel he'd intended to be, warning the Republic and Jedi of the Sith, and reclaiming his name. But he had met her. Ori Katai was of the Sith, and he had gotten too close to her, despite his better judgment. He'd let her distract him from his mission. He'd allowed her into his home. And now she had discovered his starfighter, and had gone, presumably to warn the Sith. Or had she. He'd left the farm quickly, there'd been no other choice. He preferred not to launch the Starfighter without the communications system, which would take a week to reinstall. Catching Ori first was at least worth a try. But he cursed himself now for not studying the clues more closely. Yes, someone had gone through the shed, killed her UVAC, and uncovered the Starfighter. But it wasn't clear who had done what. Yes, Ori was missing, and her footprints led away up the trail but other people riding Uvac had recently been there, too, and left. Only enfranchised Sith rode Uvac, but all of them were supposedly hostile to Ori, whom they now regarded as a slave. Had something changed? She hadn't left with them, in any event. His bet was that the tribe didn't yet know about his secret. If the Sith Uvac riders had discovered his vessel, they would have left someone to protect it. That left Ori, The previous day, when he'd been up in the jungle, he'd felt a profound pang of betrayal from her through the Force. He'd seen the destruction she'd wrought on his tiny farm. And now she was heading toward the capital city with knowledge capable of spreading destruction on a galactic scale. She had to be. Ori's tracks had vanished before the crossroads, but Jelf remained certain she was bound for Tov. There was nothing but jungle to the east and no one to tell downstream in the abandoned towns of the Ragnos Lakes. With the monsoon rains choking the Marasota River, fords were out to the few southern cities. That left the capital, a city he had never visited. The center of evil on Keshe, home of Grand Lord Lilia Venn and her whole misbegotten tribe. He looked out the window toward the now purposeless city walls. Where might Ori be? Where would she go? You don't look happy, my friend. The worried old Kashiri took the empty bowl. I always try to have something to serve for the poor. I'm sorry it's not better. It's not that, Jelf said, remembering himself. Ah, the woman. The old man retreated behind the counter. I may not be one of your kind, young human, but I can tell you something universal. You let a woman into your life, and anything can happen. Jelf stepped toward the door, turned, and bowed. That's what I'm afraid of."
1: The last visitors filed out of the zoo. That was what Ori had always called it, but the true name was something more complicated. Originally a special park honoring Nidar Korsin and the Skyborne Rangers, it had since had the names of two or three other Grand Lords affixed to it, though that didn't seem a particularly high honor to Ori. There had once been wild animals inside, the last members of some of Kesha's predator species. But the Sith had long since hauled them out and killed them for sport. Now the facility served as the public home for the UVAC mounts used in rake-riding, those few UVAC who survived their bouts in that violent sport, anyway. Sith citizens and Kashiri alike came to marvel at the mighty beasts, being pampered and prepared for their matches at the nearby Corsinata. Lately, though, they had come to see something else. Or, rather, someone. Ori found her mother where she expected to find her, mucking out the uvax dolls. Jelf had been exactly right, Grand Lord Ven had made a public spectacle out of Kandra Katai's fall from power. Under the watchful eyes of the burly night guard, the deposed High Lord continued the work that she'd done all day for the viewing amusement of the passers-by. Still wearing her ceremonial gown from Donellan's day, now soiled and frayed, Kandra stood on tiptoes, delicately relocating foul deposits with a large shovel. Looking down from her perch on the roof of the shelter, Ori waited until the guard was right beneath her. Then she leapt downward, kicking out to knock the sentry senseless. Kneeling, she grabbed the man's lightsaber and dragged him into the stall behind the grounded uvac. Eyes watering from the stench, Kandra looked up at her daughter with a tired expression. You came back. Yes. It's been weeks and weeks. More like two, Ori said, studying her mother. Such a short time since the royal fate, and she could barely recognize the woman. The gray hair always carefully hidden by the Kashiri beauticians was out in straggly force now. Kandra stank of every vile thing she'd encountered in her work. Her hands, however, remained free from calluses. Ori could see why as Kandra robotically returned to her work, gingerly holding the shovel and making little headway. They keep feeding them slop that makes them ill, Kandra groaned. I know they're doing it on purpose. You'll never get this job done shoveling that way, Ori said, springing up and seizing the tool. Looking at it for a moment, she suddenly remembered she was not a farmer and threw it aside. You've been here all this time. Kandra feebly pointed to the empty stall across the walk, they let me sleep over there sometimes." Wearily, she looked up at Ori. You look tired, dear. Have you rested? Ori snorted. She'd run all the previous night and day from Jelf's farm after discovering his secret in the shed, finally reaching hour before. Now, at last, she was here, and she had something to trade. What was he? Where was he from? Republic fleet systems, the old characters had said. The Republic, she remembered from her studies, was the tool of the Jedi, the puppet body through which the Jedi Knights ruled the weaklings of the galaxy. It was definitely information worth something to someone. But who? I'm going to get you out of here, she told her mother. I can't just leave, Kandra said. They'll find us, wherever we go, and we'll both end up right back here. Looking quickly back outside the stall, Ori pulled the older woman into the shadows. I'm not going to break you out. I've discovered something. Something that will restore us, restore you. You have to get me in to see the High Lords. Kandra looked at her, bewildered, for a long moment before returning her eyes guiltily to the shovel. I'd better get back to work before someone else comes to check on. Ori grabbed her mother's wrists before she could move. Mother, I need to know who to talk to. Shaking her head, Kandra fought to evade her daughter's stare. No, Ori. I don't know what you think you've found, but nothing will make a difference. We've lost. This will make a difference. Ori had no doubt about that. Quickly she explained. There was another starship on Keshe, one in addition to Omen. A new one, hidden on a farm beside the Marisota River. Ori's whisper grew louder with excitement. This isn't just about our family, mother. It's about reuniting the tribe with the Sith. Kandra simply stared at her, unbelieving. You've gone mad. You've made this story up, to try to get back in. Hearing the guard begin to stir, Ori looked frantically at Kandra. You know the politics. I need to know what to do who can i go to at the word politics kandra's eyes seemed to focus looking back mournfully at the shovel she spoke in low tones three of the high lords were newly appointed stooges of the grand lord she said but that left four others who might listen to a piece from the former red and gold factions they formed the balance of political power and might well reward the Kitai family for bringing them the news first. If this is for real, you have to get them down there, to see it for themselves, Kandra said. Send them messages through Gadin Badolfa, the architect. He sees them all, and I still trust him. Don't tell them exactly what you've found, that way, they're not compromised for coming to meet you. Ori ruminated. The much-demanded Badolfa was highly placed in Sith society as well-connected a figure as one outside the hierarchy could be. The High Lords might not believe the invitations were legitimate, even coming through a trusted family friend like Badolfa, but there wasn't much choice. She dragged the guard's body back out of the stall. She'd passed a nice trough earlier that would make a good temporary home for him, the other guards would assume he was drunk on duty. But she'd keep the lightsaber. It had only been a day since the Luzo brothers had taken hers, but it felt good to have one in her hand again. Mother, you sure you don't want to come with me? Leaning on the handle of the shovel, Kandra looked long and hard at her daughter. No, this is the place for me right now. I'd only slow you down. She looked down at the floor of the stall and grimaced. And if this plan of yours doesn't work, don't trouble yourself for me here. I don't expect to be around much longer anyway.
0: Chapter 2 Hate, pure, oppressive. Tav was a monument to it. Jelf felt it in every alley, at every crossroads. The dark side of the force permeated this place, as nowhere he had ever visited. Many times while growing up on Teprawa, Jelf had thought he was going insane. He was beset with constant headaches, each waking moment took a toll on him. Only later did he realize that the cause had been his developing force sensitivity, responding to the psychic scars Exer-Kyun and his kind had wrought on the world, years before. But their evil was past. The psychic acid that coursed through the streets of Tav was alive. It was everywhere. The building he hid against was home to an old Sith man violently castigating a Kashiri servant. The window across the way, beyond which a young couple plotted the deaths of their neighbors, the sentry down the walk, whose memories held things beyond Jelf's worst imaginings. Jelf tried to shut out the impressions coming at him through the Force without attracting attention to his psychic presence. It was nearly impossible. The Sith happily broadcast their hatred and anger, like wild animals baying at the stars. Collapsing against a wall, Jelf doubled over. Too late, he realized it hadn't been a good idea to eat before coming here. He rose gasping and wiping the sweat from his forehead. How many Sith lived here? He wondered. In Tav? On Keshe? He'd never known. He was ostensibly a scout for the Jedi, even if they didn't recognize him as such, he'd wanted to deliver a full report on his eventual return. But every time he'd gone near any population center, he'd fallen ill. Including now, when he most needed his faculties. Jelf struggled to collect his thoughts. Ori. He needed to find Ori. Her name, her face would be his lifeline. She was why he was here, and why he hadn't left. He knew her presence through the Force very well, but had no hope of finding it in the sea of harsh feeling that was Tov. He wondered how she had ever survived here. Her dark nature had never seemed to him in the same class with the other Sith of Kesh, however much she postured. Ori was proud, not venal, indignant, not hateful. He would have recoiled at her touch, had she been otherwise. He had to be right about her. But what if he was wrong? Was she even here? Jelf was about to surrender to the despair surrounding him when he saw something that stirred a memory. In one of their first meetings, Ori had bragged about how none of the other sabers had her knowledge of the city's aqueduct system. It was her territory to patrol, with her apprentices. Jelf looked up to see one of several towering stone edifices stretching high across the city, bringing down water from the highlands. First constructed by the Kashiri, the system had been improved by the early Sith, who added storage reservoirs dozens of meters off the ground. Ori was right, from up there, all of Tav could be seen. And hopefully not felt, he thought he crossed into the shadows beneath a massive aqueduct support, a pillar nearly the size of a city block. The dark side sensation wasn't so bad there. Jelf scaled the support, careful to stay constantly in the darkness until he reached the top. With a wide ledge on either side channeling rushing waters, the stone flume was the size of a city street. Lying prone on the ledge, Jelf marveled that the Kashiri had been able to build, in effect, a river in Madair long before the Sith had arrived. What might they have accomplished unmolested? Shaking his head, he reached for his shoulder pouch and removed his macrobinoculars. Studying the area, he noticed a mountain range looming far to the west. It filled him with dread. He'd heard that the Sith kept their wrecked starship there, in a temple. Would they be able to use materials from his fighter to repair it? Or would one Sith simply try to leave in his fighter, planning to return later for the others? Either way, finding Ori was the important thing now. Turning his attention back to the city below, he set the visor to night vision and scanned the streets leading to the Great Palace. Would she have gone there, even knowing what Grand Lord Ven had done to her family? Straining to see farther, he dared to stand. Ori, where are you? Suddenly an unseen hand slammed him backward into the coursing water. The macro binoculars tumbled from his grasp, bouncing once on the ledge and shattering unseen on a marble rooftop far below. Once he touched bottom in the meter-deep canal, Jelf kicked his work boots against the greasy stone floor and launched himself up, only to go flying back again, pushed by the force. Unable to right himself, he tumbled down the flume. The current subsided depositing him in a collecting pool, lower down, but still many meters above the nearby rooftops. He struggled to the shallow end, unclipped his lightsaber from his belt, and lit it. Blue light flashing in the night, Jelf staggered about in the waist-deep water, looking for his assailant. Liar! The call had originated up the flume. There Jelf saw the silhouette of a woman launching toward him, brandishing a crimson lightsaber. With both hands on his weapon, he deflected the powerful blow, allowing the force of the woman's attack to carry her into the reservoir with him. She regained her footing quickly and struck again. Liar. Ori repeated, her normally brown eyes blazing with orange. You found it, Jelf said, bringing his lightsaber against hers in a crackling deadlock. It was all he could think to say. Ori snarled something inaudible and kicked through the water at him. Jelf sidestepped the move, causing them both to lose footing, and causing Ori to lose her lightsaber to the deeper portion of the basin. Seeing her splashing about, looking for the weapon, Jelf stepped back to give her room. You found it, he said, deactivating his lightsaber. You found it, and you destroyed the garden. I don't blame you. I blame you. Standing again she jammed her hand in the water, fruitlessly.
1: You're a liar. You're a Jedi.
0: I was, he said. There was no point in denying it. That was my spaceship you found. Thank the force you didn't try to get inside.
1: What? You don't think I'm smart enough?
0: Dripping, she glared back at him.
1: I'm just some stupid groundling to you, no better than the Kashiri.
0: That's not it.
1: We came from space, you know. And we'll be going back. Is that what you're afraid of?
0: Yes, among other things. Suddenly remembering where he was, Jelf looked nervously above. The reservoir was too high for them to be heard from beneath, but he'd seen aerial sentries earlier. At least he'd found her. What? What are you doing here? Ori stomped around in the water, still unable to find her lightsaber.
2: I came to
1: Tarth to tell them about you. To warn them.
0: Up here? He'd expected her to head off to see someone of importance. He studied her as she shook the water from her hair. Wait. You did see someone important. Your mother. The Sith woman simply glowered. I thought your mother wasn't in power anymore.
1: That'll change.
0: Ori's face filled with rage.
1: With what we know now. She'll be back.
2: I'll be back."
0: Jelf stepped backward, as if shoved by the force of her words. "'This isn't like you,' he said. The person who stayed with me those days didn't care about that anymore. That person."
2: That
1: wasn't me. That was defeat.
0: But I liked the other you, and I don't care what you call it. That was a part of you.
1: That person wasn't Sith.
0: She pointed to the stars, peeking out from the clouds high above.
1: Those belong to us. It's not just about me. We've lived here a thousand years, waiting to get back there. Waiting to get back to what's ours.
0: Jelf began to say something, but stopped. That's right, he whispered, calculating. The tribe was a remnant from the Great Hyperspace War, more than a millennium before. She didn't know what had followed, He had a weapon. History. There are no more Sith, Jelf said. What? There are no more Sith, he repeated. They're extinct.
1: You're lying.
0: Ori said, wading toward the edge.
1: That vessel you were hiding was a warship. Those big, prongs on either side of it. Are you telling me those are for decoration?
0: Jelf shook his head. Yes, we have enemies and we've even fought Sith in living memory. A Jedi, Exercune, fell to the dark side and revived the movement. But they were eradicated. Hunted down, all of them. Carefully, he edged his way toward her. As far as I know, your people are the only Sith left alive in the galaxy. Feel my thoughts. You'll know I'm telling the truth. Breathing hard, Ori looked back at him. Her anger spent, she hoisted herself onto the edge of the basin and pulled off her boot. Water poured from it.
2: We'll
1: rise.
0: She said, calmer now.
1: Alone against one Jedi, or a billion. We'll take our chances.
0: You'll be crushed by the Jedi.
1: Does anyone even know we exist? If the Sith haven't been looking for us, I doubt the Jedi have.
0: They're looking for me, he said and believe me, the Jedi are looking for you. He didn't know what had become of all the members of the Covenant since he'd fled, but he knew as long as Lucy and Dre lived, someone would be watching for the Sith. Ori rubbed her forehead, exasperated.
1: If I can't save my family, and I can't save my people, then what am I supposed to do?
0: Supposed to do? Jelf laughed. You're the one that always says you set your own course. He waited toward her perch on the edge. Just decide what you want." For a long moment, Ori looked at him, standing in the starlit water before her. Finally, she closed her eyes and shook her head.
1: We'll never be able to trust each other.
0: She said. Jelf looked at her searchingly. She opened her eyes and glared
1: at him. I can feel it in your thoughts. You think I'm beautiful. You think you want me. You want to trust me. But you're looking behind every word I say, trying to find me out, trying to trap me. Because of who I am."
0: Jelf looked down at the water. He hadn't known why he had come all this way when so much was at risk. Not until now. I think I know who you are, Ori. He stepped forward and put his hand on her shoulder. She shrank at his touch. Jelf. She said, grabbing at his hand but not pushing it away.
1: I can't be the person I was back at the farm. If the only way to be with you is to be weak, I just can't do it.
0: You can be strong, he said, reaching for her and pulling her off the ledge, down into the water before him. Her feet touching the bottom, she looked up at him. You are strong, he said. You just don't have to rule the galaxy. She looked away from him, down at the pool.
1: It's what we're born to do, you know. To rule the galaxy
0: then the tribe is built on a trick, he said. A deception. Everyone is fighting over something that only one person can have. Just one. Which means that to be a Sith is to be an almost certain failure. Almost everyone who follows your code is doomed to fail, even before he starts. Jelf chortled. What kind of philosophy is that? Nudging her chin upward with his hand, he looked into her eyes, brown again. Don't be tricked. You can't lose if you don't play." He kissed her, uncaring what any Sith aerial sentry saw. Ori returned the embrace before pulling back.
1: Wait. We're already playing. It's in motion. I can't stop it.
0: What do you mean? Dark-brow furrowed, Ori explained what her mother had suggested she do.
1: I've already sent word to the rival High Lords. They're going to meet me at your farm to see the spaceship.
0: Shocked back to reality, Jelf released her. What, what did you say to them? Stunned, he climbed out of the reservoir. Ori followed, appealing to him. Her mother had given her a phrase to use code within the tiny High Lord community for a discovery of cash shaking importance.
1: I didn't tell them about the spaceship, but they know it's important. They're supposed to meet me there tomorrow at sunset.
0: Sunset. Jelf sagged. It had taken him a full day and night just to get here on foot. How are you going to get there?
1: I was going to steal a new
0: Ori said, standing atop the ledge and pointing up to a dark figure in the sky.
1: It's why I came up here, I knew from the aqueduct, I could lure one of the aerial sentries down here.
0: She looked back at him petulantly.
1: Of course, that was when I still had a lightsaber.
0: Lucky thing you made a friend he said, standing on the ledge beside her and looking up at the hovering sentry. He smiled. You know, Ori, you're the first Sith I've ever fought.
1: You may need to try harder against this one.
0: She said, watching his lightsaber come to life.
1: We're not all so easily charmed. Chapter 3 It felt good to fly again. Ori looked down at the countryside slipping away beneath the Uvac's beating wings. Every so often, she turned back to see Jelf, clinging to her as she pulled the reins. He was still smiling. Flight was no mystery to him, she knew, but he'd lived for three years on the ground, looking up at Flying Sith. This was a welcome change. She wondered what flying in his spaceship would be like. She knew now why he hadn't simply flown away in it earlier. But now that they'd found each other, they needn't be bound to Kesh any longer. They'd be an uncomfortable fit in the one-seat vehicle, and she knew he wanted to reinstall some kind of communications system before departing. But even though they hadn't discussed it, she fervently hoped for that escape. What would life be like for her, a child of the tribe in a Jedi-dominated galaxy? Much like Jelf must have felt these past years, she imagined. She was beginning to think that way now. Empathy was a trait the Sith understood only as a means of better knowing one's enemy. It had no practical purpose otherwise. Ori had begun to see things differently. Take Kandra, for example. There were many reasons Ori had wanted to restore her mother's past position, but most revolved around pride, vengeance, and shame over her current state. It was more important, she now realized, to simply improve her mother's life by getting her out of Venn's clutches. The four High Lords could do that, Gadin Badolfa assured her when she'd contacted him. She just needed something to give them in trade instead of Jelf's spaceship. Jelf had suggested the four functioning blasters he had hidden at home, she could claim to have discovered them in a grave somewhere. All the weapons they heard from Omen's crew were long since exhausted. The discovery of Charged Ones could make a difference in the violent politics of the High Lords.
0: We're not going to make it in time,
1: Jelf said. Their Uvac hadn't wanted to carry two strange riders and had fought them all the way.
0: What's that up there?
1: Ori looked up to see a flying V of Uvac, a lone figure trailed by three more on either side, soaring through the air high above them. Blast it! They'd found the jet stream, she realized. They're going to get there first. Steady. Jelf said. His hold on her tightened. But faster. Ori allowed Jelf to leap free out of sight of the farm before touching down. She watched as he nimbly hit the dirt and rolled into the cover. It was so surprising to see him in action, as physically able in every way as a Sith saber. And stealthy, too. The visitors... Their creatures parked behind the farmhouse, hadn't seen a thing. Taking a deep breath, Ori dismounted. The sack of blasters was right where Jelf had said it was, beneath the mixing trough. They looked much like the ones she'd seen in the museum. Hopefully, they'd be enough to buy her mother's redemption, and to make the visitors leave. Under her breath, she rehearsed what she would say as she rounded the farmhouse past the destroyed trellis. She knew which four of the high lords to expect. Sensing familiar dark presences, she called out. My lords, I have what you're looking for. Yes, I think you do. Ori turned ashen at the sound of the croaking voice. The Grand Lord! Pale and shrunken, Lilia then emerged from the stable. Raising a mottled hand, she grasped Ori through the force, immobilizing her. Four of her loyal guards appeared from behind the barn and took physical hold of Ori. Turning, the Sith leader called into the barn. Lords Luzo! Ori felt her spine turn to jelly as Flen and Sorge Luzo opened the stable doors behind Van, revealing the metallic mass of the Orex strike fighter inside. She'd heard from Badolfa that Van had elevated Flen and Sorge Luzo to lordships for their loyalty. Now the conniving brothers had returned to the farm with her worst enemy. How did it happen? Ori asked, struggling against the guards. Did Badolfa betray me?
2: Oh, we let Badolfa deliver your messages,
1: Sorge Luzo said, squeaky voice high with delight.
2: Your mother made another deal. What? Yes, Ven said, turning and hobbling back inside. She didn't think your discovery existed and she didn't think the other high lords would come. So she alerted us to the meeting here. Ori looked horrified. In exchange for what? Then licked her dry lips. Call it, improved working conditions. Had any high lords arrived, I would have had them for treason. She gestured to the space vehicle. But this is a much better
1: prize. Straining against her captors, Ori looked around. Jelf was out there, she knew, but there were so many of them. And now the elder Luzo brother was helping the Grand Lord through the partially dug manure in the stable toward her discovery. I did it! Ven said, triumphantly. I've lived to see the day. She released her hold on her escort's
2: arm and leaned against the starfighter. Life is a cruel joke, Lord Luzo. You spend your years reaching the pinnacle of power. Only then everyone thinks it's time for you to die. None of us, Grand Lord. Shut up. She stroked the cold metal of the vehicle. Well, Lilia Venn's life is not over. There is another peak, another place to conquer. I will begin again, in the stars. Vaguely aware of the shifting feet of her allies behind her, she added. I will take you all with me, of course. Of course, Grand Lord.
1: Outside, two of the guards, once Ori's fellow sabers, stepped away from Ori, their attention drawn to the excitement inside. Neither they nor her two remaining captors noticed the discarded, unopened sack of blasters behind them, silently levitating toward the bushes beside the farmhouse. But Ori did, beginning to move even before she heard Jelf's mental call.
0: Ori! Down!
1: Instead of resting free to run, Ori threw her weight to the ground, surprising the men holding her arms. The distraction was enough for Jelf, who emerged from the farmhouse firing. Brilliant beams not seen on Kesh since the first century of occupation struck the two guards from behind. Ahead, the remaining sabers turned in shock. Inside, Ven's aged form came alive, she glared at her new lords. Secure this place. Jelf charged the yard, firing anew. The remaining sabers, who had never deflected a blaster bolt in their lives, moved frantically to parry the energy. Ori rolled on the ground, trying to find one of the fallen god's lightsabers. Ahead, she saw the Luzo brothers standing guard in the doorway to the stable, while behind them, the Grand Lord had somehow clambered atop the starfighter. No, she saw with a start. Not atop the vessel. Inside. Ori spun toward Jelf, who'd arrived beside her. He saw it, too. For a moment he froze, his blaster fire stopping. The crone was inside his precious starship. He grabbed Ori's arm and helped her stand, Firing again at the Luzos and their guards, he pulled at her arm.
0: Ori, let's
1: go. Suddenly thrown into motion, Ori looked back at the barn. He clearly didn't understand. Jelf, no. The Grand Lord is here, she called. What are you doing? Jelf didn't answer. Instead, he pushed her forward.
2: Away from the barn toward the river. Inside, the old woman reached for the throttle. A tinny voice came from the compartment. Automatic navigation system engaged. Hover mode activated. Ven's eyes opened wide as she began her ascent. Outside the orek, the Luzo brothers ordered the surviving Saber to guard the entrance against Ori and her unknown protector. The rear stable doorway accommodated wide-winged UVAC, it would easily permit the exit of a hovering starfighter. Such power, Sorge Luso said, watching the metal monster rise. She won't even need us to sever the moorings. Moorings? Flynn looked beneath the ship. Two tiny monofilament cords tied around the landing struts were just visible now in the light. As the lines pulled taut, the young lord's yellow eyes darted to the other ends, buried in the muck where the vessel had parked. There, in the ground, tiny pins snapped.
0: and brought down a Dark Lord's dreams. The security device had gone in before Jelf had brought the first starfighter part down from the jungle. The orek had sat hidden beneath a mound of manure in the barn, but beneath it was buried something else, two of the ship's proton torpedoes, surrounded by thousands of kilograms of ammonium nitrate-based explosive, Transforming the fertilizer into something fit for an anti-theft system had required much patience and care, but it had given Jelf a way to turn his nominal job into something helpful to his mission. Now the anti-theft system worked exactly as planned. When the cables yanked upward, triggers snapped shut on the torpedo warheads. The weapons detonated, igniting the surrounding explosives. Thunder struck the farm as the fireball ripped and tore itself free from the surrounding clay, consuming the stable and its occupants in milliseconds. Outside, Jelf tackled Ori, plunging them both into the water even as the shockwave shredded the ground behind them. Jerked through the disintegrating barn roof, the strike fighter rode aloft on a geyser of heat and force. For a split second the woman inside rejoiced at the motion, assuming it a natural demonstration of the vehicle's power. Her elation ended when, the vessel shielding an operative, the other four torpedoes detonated in their launch tubes. Night laborers as far away as Toph saw the new comet flash into being and die just as quickly, bathing the southern sky with an eerie light. Lilia Van had found her way to the sky.
1: Chapter 4 The Little Hut Was Taking Shape Under a dense canopy of foliage no UVAC scout could penetrate. The new structure sat atop a relatively dry lump in the middle of the thicket. The hijabo shoots grew much stronger up here in the jungle. If it weren't for Jelf's lightsaber, Ori never would have cleared the grounds. Eight weeks had passed since the blast claimed the farm. Jelf and Ori had descended from the jungle only once, under cover of night, to investigate what was left. There wasn't anything to see. The entire riverbank had fallen into the Marisota River. Dark waters edded and swirled over the blast crater. All that remained was the stub of a weed-covered path terminating at the river's edge. The pair had returned to the jungle that night confident that no one would learn there had ever been a starfighter on Kesh. Ori had laughed for the first time in days, quoting her mother's favorite line. The confidence of the dead end. Since that trip, their focus had been entirely on carving a place for themselves in hiding. There was no returning, Ori now realized, not after her mother's betrayal. Ven's death certainly had been broadcast through the force, and just as certainly, would have set the remaining high lords against one another all over again. The game was renewed, maybe Kandra might even find a role to play. Ori wanted nothing to do with any of it. That part of her was past. And if no one mourned Lilia Ven, no one had come to look for Ori and Jelf, either. In fact, the two of them had spied fewer Sith and Kashiri in the surrounding lands of late than usual. Presumably, a Grand Lord vanishing mysteriously in an area feared as haunted since the tragedy of the Ragnos Lakes would have that effect. It was fine with her. Ori had a new vision for herself now, based on an old story she'd heard as a child. Kashiri legend held that soon after the Sith arrived, some of their native population had escaped over the ocean. They'd chosen a one-way trip to privation and likely death over lives of service to the tribe. Today's more devoted Kashiri told it as a cautionary tale, choice of destiny was a luxury reserved for the protectors, not their servants. The cost of arrogance for a servant was isolation. Ori saw it differently. If the exodus really had happened, whoever had led those slaves away was the greatest Kashiri of all time their fates had been decided, and defied. Jelf was right. There had to be a way to win at life besides climbing to the top of a fractious order, only to be stabbed by a shika or poisoned by a presumed ally. Had Ven been happy, she wondered, being immolated in her moment of triumph. The tribe members seemed as hopelessly bound to their paths as the Kashiri who remained slaves. And they thought they were smarter. Looking to the sun vanishing between the trees, Ori began cutting down the last of the meter-length shoots that would form their side door. It felt strange using the Jedi's weapon, she thought. All the lightsabers the Sith on Kesh used were red, but some of the original castaways kept captured Jedi lightsabers as trophies. She had seen a green one in the Corsin Museum. This one's color was strange and beautiful, a brilliant blue found nowhere in nature the only artifact of Jelfer’s alien origin. Well, not the only one, she thought, extinguishing the lightsaber. That's where he was now, she knew. As usual, he had risen at dawn to trap breakfast and gather their fruit for later. While offering nothing like the gardening conditions in the lowlands, the jungle provided other means of sustenance year-round. In this latitude, she doubted she would notice when winter came. He spent the rest of his day building their shelter, before retiring, at dusk, as he always did, to keep vigil beside the device, the one part of his space vessel he hadn't brought down to the farm. She walked there now, to the spot in the trees where Jelf sat on a stump for hours, staring at the dark metal case and fiddling with its instruments. He hadn't kept it from her. For the Sith, the transmitter, as he called it, could be as explosive a discovery as the starfighter. Jelf had kept it for what it represented, his lifeline to the outside. He'd never been able to get a message out, as he explained it, something about Kesh and its shifting magnetic field prevented such attempts. That might not be a permanent situation, but it could be centuries before it changed. Ori wondered if that same phenomenon had thwarted the castaways centuries before. All he was able to do was set the device to scan for signals from the ether, recording them for later playback. Perhaps, if some traveller came near enough, he might be able to get a message to the beyond. She now understood his trips upriver in earlier months, he came to the jungle to see what sounds he'd snared. Normally, he heard nothing but static. But whatever Jelf had just heard had thrown him.
0: I can't go back.
1: He said, looking blankly at the device. Ori looked at the flashing thing, not understanding. What happened?
0: I caught a signal.
1: It took him several moments to be able to say the words.
0: The Jedi are at war with one another. What? A Jedi named Revan. When I lived there, Revan was like us, trying to rally the Jedi against a great enemy. Jelf swallowed
1: finding his mouth dry.
0: From the sound of it, something's gone wrong. The Jedi Order has split. It's at war with itself.
1: Jelf replayed the recorded message for her. A fragment of a warning from a Republic admiral, it cautioned listeners that no Jedi could be trusted. The ages-old compact between Republic and Jedi had been sundered. Now there was only war. The message ended shaken jelf deactivated the device
0: this is our fault the covenant
1: the jedi sect you belong to yes he looked up in the twilight unable to find any evening stars through the foliage
0: and that's the trouble there aren't supposed to be any jedi sects. the order is divided now but we divided it first
1: he shook his head
0: may the force help them all
1: he turned his gaze to the wilderness again. Ori let him sit in silence. It occurred to her that during all her days of complaining about the world she had lost, Jelf was living with the loss of a whole galaxy. And he was losing it again now. At last, he stood and spoke.
0: I don't know what to do, Ori. We kept the tribe from discovering a way off cache, But I always held out hope that with the transmitter, I could make contact one day. Make contact,
1: he said, looking back at her for a moment.
0: To get us out of this place.
1: And to warn them about my people, Ori said. Jelf looked away. There was no avoiding the truth. Yes. Ori touched his shoulder. It's only fair. I tried to warn my people about you.
0: Well, it's pointless now.
1: He said, stooping to lift a stone from their future front garden.
0: If the Jedi are divided, or, worse, if Revan or someone else has fallen to the dark side, then bringing a planet full of Sith to their attention is the worst thing I could possibly do for the galaxy.
1: You don't know that, she said. You could be wrong. The Jedi could still come here and wipe everyone out.
0: Yes, I could be wrong.
1: Laughing to himself, he looked at her.
0: You know, that's the first time anyone's heard me say that. Maybe if I'd said it more often back home, I wouldn't be here now.
1: He tossed the stone into the stream and knelt again.
0: I've lived my whole life thinking I knew what I was supposed to do. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do now.
1: Watching him, Ori saw the look she'd seen in him in her previous visits to the farm. It was the expression he'd worn when toiling in the muck. Then he had been doing something unpleasant, but he'd been doing it because he had to do it to keep his garden alive and his customers happy. His duty. Duty. The term didn't mean the same thing to the Sith. In the Sabres, Ori had had missions she was charged to perform, but she had taken them on as personal challenges, not out of some loyalty to a higher order. The galaxy didn't have the right to give her odd jobs. Truly free beings had lives. Slaves had duties. And now Jelf was suffering. Certain that he had some duty to perform, but unsure what it was. What service did he owe the galaxy, a galaxy that had already cast him out? Maybe, Ori said, maybe Sith philosophy has the answer for you. What? We're taught to be self-centered. We don't think us and them. It's just you, versus everyone else. No one else matters. Placing her arms around him from behind, she looked out at the dark stream, burbling quietly passed on its way to feed the Marasota River. The Sith cast me out. The Jedi cast you out. Maybe neither side deserves our help.
0: The only side worth saving,
1: he said, turning toward her. Is ours? She smiled up at him. Yes, she had been right from the beginning. He was so much more than a slave. Give it a try, Jedi, she said. If I can do something selfless, then maybe it's time for you to do something selfish. He looked at her for a long moment, a twinkle in his eye. Wordlessly, he broke the embrace and stepped over to the receiver. Uprooting it, he grinned at her. Shall we? Ori watched him cradle the blinking machine for a moment before she realized what he intended. Exhaling, she stepped over and helped him carry the transmitter to the side of the stream. With one great heave, they tossed it in. Striking a shoal beneath the current, the contraption splintered noisily into shards. They watched together for a moment as bits of casing bobbed and vanished into the darkness. Then they turned back toward their house. The cords were cut. It was time to
2: live.